My name is Jonathan Martin, and you are listening to the Zeitcast. Welcome back, y'all. I don't want to give too much preface, but I want to give a little bit of preface. This is the most full and fruitful season of my life. I feel like I'm living from a deep place. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my wife, my kids, my community. I'm humbled to be a part of the things that I get to be a part of right now. Some of you know that that entails being the director of the Center for Spiritual Life at DePaul University, also associate chaplain here. More recently, I've added to that uh, pastor of Fillmore United Methodist Church. And you might be saying to yourself, Fillmore, don't think I've heard of that before. Probably would not have. It's a town of 500 people. It's about 15 minutes away from my house in Greencastle, Indiana, little rural community. And I really don't know how to tell you what an unspeakable gift it has been for me already to have this community in my life, a community that's largely, a, or a congregation that's largely older. Um, like many of us think deep down, even if we don't know how to articulate this, there's such a craving for elders and such a craving for those kind of figures in our lives. And uh, it's really a beautiful thing. Little church out in the country, having the time of my life, y'all. It's amazing. But I've been living fast in all these different directions. Though my my breath and my heart, all that feels, you know, slowed down in sync in the right way. But I've just felt like these little sermons on Sundays, uh, maybe these, maybe somebody else needs this. I don't know. Maybe I just need to put them out there for whatever reason. I don't know. I've always towed a line with this podcast between conversations about theology, life, culture, and then also sermons. I don't want to be sermons all the time, but right now, a little bit of sermon because I'm on a thing right now. We're into Lent for those of you who, like me, did not grow up within a tradition where Lent is practiced. I continue to find it to be revolutionary, um, full of invitation to a different way of living, different way of being in the world. I think it's transformative. I think that's universally accessible to all kinds of people. Everybody on some level knows intuitively that uh, the call to change in any way is going to involve going into the wilderness. So all that to say, this particular sermon that I preached at Fillmore was the week before Lent. And I wanted to include it because it feels like it is connected. This final Sunday in Epiphany, talking about transfiguration, a mysterious text that we think about in terms of the ways it illuminates in the gospel text how Jesus is divine. I think that's right. But keep in mind that what Jesus is always doing in all these texts and the gospels in our lives now is showing us how to be human. And I think the Transfiguration text is doing both of those things in equal measure. So whoever you are, however you got here, I'm so glad you're here. And uh hope I don't get too preachy for y'all. But here's some preaching. Awfully good to be back with you. Thanks for hanging around.
So this morning, we are celebrating the final Sunday of Epiphany, which means with Ash Wednesday coming, of course, next Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent. It has not always been the case that the church has celebrated Transfiguration at the end of Epiphany before Lent. That's fairly uh, fairly modern development. But I really love it for a number of different reasons. I love that, for one, I think it's a wonderful way of framing uh, Lent and the Easter story that we know that we have these two moments that kind of bookend each other, both at the beginning of Mark here, I'm sorry, in Mark 9 at the Transfiguration in this particular text, um, the same thing is going to happen uh, right before Jesus goes to the cross, but just for very different reasons. And that Jesus is going to invite his three closest friends into a time of prayer with him. And ultimately, they are going to shrink away both times. Um, but again, for different reasons. This, this time, because they are afraid uh, in one way of the, 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 well, and really puzzled by what they see. In fact, um, I know that's not in the lectionary reading this morning, but I almost wish this went through one verse, uh, one verse further, because just after what we read, verse nine, as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Verse 10 says, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead could mean. Um, they were puzzled by this experience. But it also was a mountaintop experience. It also was a powerful experience. It's transfiguration. And the fact that we have that at the beginning of the story and at the end of Lent, we'll find Jesus praying with his disciples in solitude again, this time a kind of terror. For me, it just frames all of the Christian life is kind of lived between these two mountains. Um, the moments of illumination are very real. There are times and moments where we see the glory of God and we see the beauty of God and we see the goodness of God and we are overwhelmed by it. Those moments do come, but we also all have our Garden of Gethsemane moments as well, uh, where there's pain and there's angst and sometimes even agony. And it's like the entire Christian life is lived between these poles. And we're mindful that when we're in the Garden of Gethsemane, that there are more moments of transfiguration that are coming. We're also mindful that when we're on the mountain and we see the glory and the dazzling splendor of God, we're still going to have to come down the mountain too. Um, all of that is always still true. So we kind of live between these two experiences. And no matter how high we get or how low we get, we always know that there's, there's more to the story. This is the nature of the story. Um, doesn't really go like this, does it? Uh, none of our lives do. It's more, it's more like this. There are ups and downs, and there are valleys, and there are mountaintops, and you don't mature out of that. You don't grow out of that. Uh, no, I'm kind of, now we're on the mountaintop. We've seen the glory of God. Let's just stay here for a while. It's going to be great. Like those, inevitably, those moments are going to be uh, fleeting, but they do come, and we need them. We need those moments of illumination. We need those moments of clarity. We need those moments where we see God for who God really is. Uh, maybe even when we see ourselves for, for who we truly are. 
that's one of the things that I I think about a lot these days is that keep in mind this idea, Paul uses the word glorification, that the same thing to happen to Jesus ultimately will happen to all of us. In the language of 1 John, we do not yet know what we shall be when he appears, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. So in the same way that Jesus is glorified here, all of us have a time that's coming when we will be glorified, when we will share in uh, the power of God in this way, uh, that we also will have resurrected. But I love that there are these, I love that there's these moments that come along where sometimes out of nowhere, we just, we're just able to see a little bit of what's below the surface, able to see the, the holiness of God. We're able to see the beauty of God. We don't always know what to do with it when we see it. When I read these stories, I never, because I don't know, I feel like the way people would preach about or hear stories about, say, like uh, Peter and really all the disciples, I think people will describe them as sort of bumbling idiots. Um, one of the things I love so much about all of these characters really is that they're just so much like us. And we relate to them in all kinds of ways that I think we're supposed to relate to. Um, when Peter does this whole bit of like, hey, so now we've seen like Jesus and Moses and Elijah. We should we should build temples for all of you. I mean, it says outright in the text. And I love that that's actually included in the text. He simply did not know what to say. Yeah. So then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi. It is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. <laughs> so Peter, you know, I don't think Peter thinks that he's necessarily doing this great theological thing. He doesn't know what to say. Um, the way all of us don't know what to say in some of these big moments in our lives. Now, for me, at least part of the instruction in this that I continue to try to learn as someone who many times has said unfortunate things because I felt like I needed to say something or made the wrong decision because I felt like I needed to do something. Is that sometimes there are moments where you don't know what to do? Well, it's all right to not do anything. When you don't know what to say, it's okay to just not say anything. It's okay to sit with that, be with that. So what Peter says is clumsy here, but it's because really he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. When the glory of God breaks in in this way. That's striking me kind of funny today because I just think about all the times and ways that I've asked God to move, that I want God to move, that I want to see God's spirit at work in my life. But when God does come, I don't know what to do with it. What, but this is the thing that we pray for. This is the thing that we've asked for. Then we actually see it. We actually get to see the glory of God. And they're terrified. And even after this experience is over, they don't come down off the mountaintop feeling clear. They seem less clear at the end than they do at the beginning. Jesus is gesturing towards resurrection. Like, what, what, what did he mean when he said that? They're not necessarily any more clear of it. I just think, they're, again, there's something so wonderfully human about that, the way that even when God does show up, we often, we're not able to just celebrate it for what it is because we're like, well, what does this mean? What is God actually doing? But I love that we do have these moments of transfiguration. I love that sometimes bushes still do light on fire. 
There's that wonderful line uh, from that poem. I can't remember the whole thing right now, but this idea that every bush is a burning bush. I really do believe that. All created things display the glory of God, but sometimes we're just aware of it. Sometimes we're with the people around us. Sometimes I'm walking my little dog and I'm overcome by like, this is, this is crazy. I've got basically a little wolf living in my house and I've become the pack. This is an amazing thing. Sharing a meal with a friend. And all of a sudden it's just like, this is, this is an extraordinary thing. The, the gift of being with another person. Just sometimes we have these moments where we're able to, to see something that really is always true. And that's one of the things I find. And I'm, I'll, last couple of moments I want to land here, I think, but this that I find most interesting about the moment of transfiguration is because it is a moment in time. It is one moment on the journey. And we all get these moments of illumination. Uh, we have these moments where things light up. We have these moments when we see it. Uh, I take a lot more notes now than I used to, um, even though I don't preach from a lot of them, but I take a lot of them because I'm always trying to be mindful of, you know, whatever's happening in I have these moments where I see things and I need to write it down because inevitably a few seconds later, it's likely to be gone. <laughs> that feeling will be gone, but it's good to have something to, I love being able to go back to these moments where I may not see the glory of God right now the way I did before, but I can remember what it was like when I did. And sometimes that's a good enough place to start, to go back to that place, uh, to revisit. Uh, may not be clear right now, but I remember what clarity feels like. And that can um, that can ground us in some way. But part of what's so interesting about the moment of transfiguration for Jesus is that, of course, we know that Jesus is this much God all the time. So Jesus didn't become something in this moment that he was not. Jesus was always the Son of God. Jesus always had this kind of glory inside of him. The same... Um, fire and thunder and all of that that Moses experiences on Sinai that's terrifying in its own way. Jesus always had that kind of glory in him. So in that way, nothing really changes for Jesus here, but the disciples see something of what really is always true in this particular moment. But Jesus is never any less God than he is in that moment. Jesus is not less God in the moments where he's not shining dazzling white. He's not any less God in any of those moments. And so part of what I think happens in the transfiguration, and I think part of the invitation of the transfiguration, is that we have these moments where everything lights up, hopefully teaching us how to live in the moments when nothing lights up. God is still at work when we don't see the glory nearly this radiantly. God is still moving in the times when we don't see God moving. When we don't recognize what God's doing, it doesn't mean God's not doing anything. It just means I may not be paying attention. I, have almost, I don't think this is a bad thing to pray. Um, I, I took a random Christian education class when I was in college uh, when I had a teacher who like did this sort of drilling us not to pray unbiblical things. And because I can be very like literal in that way, I don't think it was helpful for me because everything was like, you know, it was constant correction. It was like, don't pray God be with the missionaries. We know God is always with the missionaries. Well, all that's technically true. But then I would just get so caught up in whether or not I was praying or saying the right thing, you know, but that being said, 
I actually have shifted a little bit because I don't think it's a bad thing to pray. Pray what's on your heart to pray. Nothing directed towards God is inappropriate. That came up in our Bible study, actually, in the last couple of weeks. So we've seen that, you know, the complaining the Israelites do. The biggest problem with their complaints is that they're complaining about God rather than to God. Uh, we see often in scriptures, like God, God doesn't respond. Even if God pushes back, God likes the ones that talk to him face to face. We see this in Job. We see it with David in the Psalm. They start complaining about God rather than complaining to God. They're not bringing their concerns to God. And, uh, and that becomes the problem. At any rate, I, I don't, I, I really don't pray as much as I used to asking God to speak, speak to me, Lord, simply for the fact that I'm so convinced at this point that God is always talking, that God is always communicating. I think of it as more like, um, I know we're past the, era of radios now and into Wi-Fi, but these things work kind of alike, I suppose, in a way, right? A signal goes out, and with a radio signal, it's just a question of whether or not you have an antenna up, whether or not you're dialed into the signal. Uh, I think God is speaking and moving. All The question is always just going to be, am I going to be in a place to listen? Am I in a place to hear? So then it becomes more, God, can you help me to understand Can you the things that you're already saying? God, can you help me listen to the things that you're already speaking to me? God, can you help me to see the ways that you're already moving and working? I, the longer, the further I go in this journey, the more convinced that I am. So many of the things that we pray for God to do, the answers are right in front of us. We just haven't seen them for what they are yet. Um, it's often, and I don't think that's incidental in this text, it's often in the people around us. Because we are part of the people of God. We are all on a journey to glorification. So part of how we so often see the goodness and the beauty and faithfulness of God is just through the people around us. But we need to be able to recognize them for how holy they are. Uh, might be unlike Jesus, uh, not without sin, right? But yet, holy people that pull us through. Do you have any problems become out of control in my life because I just get in my head about stuff too much. And I just sit with it and think and mull and stew. And then when I get out of my head and get my head out of some other places, <laughs> then all of a sudden, oh, wait, a few minutes with a real person reminds me, oh, yeah, okay, this actually isn't all that dire. Um, there are people who care. And I'm not the only one who's ever experienced this difficult thing that I'm experiencing. I'm not alone. But I need those moments of transfiguration where I'm able to see not only God, but see God's people, see the way that God's glory shines on God's people. I did not read, um, we didn't read from the epistle this morning, but the epistle is, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm freestyling a little bit today, but this, this feels right. And I really am done with this. In the epistle reading gets into just part of Paul's wonderful riff in Corinthians that I always think is uh, is kind of fantastic because it's it's wild. If you if you read the Apostle Paul too much, you can get too used to kind of like oh it's the Apostle Paul and not and kind of forget some of the stuff the Apostle Paul says is wild. Like I love it, but it's wild. And one of the wildest things that Paul says is he has this whole bit about how in the Old Testament, how in Exodus, that the reason that Moses put on the veil, do y'all remember that? Moses sees the glory of God on Sinai 
and then he puts on a veil. And what the text says, and this is all we have in the text, is that Moses does that to protect the people from the bright shininess of God's glory. So Paul says something that's not in the Torah, that's not in the Hebrew Bible. No one's heard this before. So whether that comes by revelation or tradition through the rabbis, I don't know. But Paul says that the reason that Moses didn't take off the veil was not just to protect the people, but because Moses did not want people to know that the glory came and went. By keeping the veil up, by not being vulnerable, people always would believe that Moses was bright and shiny, which, by the way, is the the model uh, that most people are taught in ministry is keep the veil up at all times and people will just assume that you're always bright and shiny with God's glory. But what Paul does, this is where I say it's kind of wild, especially when you think about that Paul's talking about Moses, the most revered person in the Old Testament, that Paul says, unlike Moses, who put on the veil so that people would not know that the glory came and went, you have seen the glory of God in us through the through unveiled faces. Because it's in the same section that Paul talks about all the times he's been beat and shipwrecked and all the hardship and all the sorrow and all the pain and all the betrayal. And he says, unlike Moses, y'all have seen the glory of God in our faces. But there's been there's been no veil. There's been no filter. Um, I'm living vulnerable. And part of what's so beautiful about that is that Paul suggests here that the glory of God through unveiled faces, in other words, through the good, bad, and the ugly, is an even is a is a greater glory, is a far greater glory than just keeping the veil up. Um, how do, where do we see the most remarkable displays of God's glory in our lives? Well, it's absolutely the way that God brings beauty through brokenness. It's absolutely the way that God brings um, goodness to bear in the world, not just through joy, not through the highlight reel, but through our pain, through our sorrow, through our ambiguity. God is still revealing God's self. And God reveals God's self, not just through Jesus, but God wants to reveal his glory through us. So my my prayer this morning is twofold. One. Um, I want to pray for those of you who may just need a moment where you just need to see Jesus this way. You need to be reminded of who he is. Um, and that just because things have been quiet or ordinary or God's not moving in a demonstrative way doesn't mean that God's not moving. So for some of us, I want to pray for that kind of moment of illumination. But it's also my prayer today that um, we will be aware of the way that God's glory is on display through the unveiled faces of the people around us and that God wants his glory to be known through our own unveiled faces. We get to bring the glory of God into somebody else's life, which can seem pretentious and weird to say, but it's really not. You know, I, that, when I looked at myself in the mirror this morning, shaving, I do shave this part. Um, I am very aware every time of all the ways that I am not complete. I am very aware of all the ways that I am not, that I have not arrived. I am very aware of any and all mistakes. And yet I'm reminded every time that in the same way that God speaks these beautiful words over Jesus here. uh, Yeah. He says, this is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. I'm aware that, 
uh, when I'm looking at my own unveiled face, that I'm still a beloved son of God, uh, that we are beloved sons and daughters of God. Yes, there's only one, only begotten son, but we're all called to be children of God. And one of the things I love about these moments of illumination, these moments of clarity, is that we remember, we just remember who we really are. And who are we? We are who God says we are, not who anybody else has said that we are, regardless of anybody else's label, regardless of any uh, what anybody else has said about us. I don't know about y'all. I've been called a lot of things in my life, <laughs> depending on the time and on the place. Really doesn't matter what anybody else has said about me. Really doesn't matter what anybody else has said about you. What God says about us is the ground floor of reality. We are beloved sons and daughters of God. We just don't always see that clearly. But when we do see it, when we do know it, we remember who we are. So with that in mind, hmm, thank you, Holy Spirit, for these words this morning. I've, I've uh, felt you today, and I love it the way that these texts kind of dance and come alive, and we see connections not only between scriptures, but we're connecting with the text of our own lives. And we, and we're thinking about all kinds of things. We're thinking about these ways that we need your glory to show up in our lives. Now we're thinking about the ways that we need a revelation of how you are at work and how you are moving. We're thinking about the ways that, um, that maybe we need to be more attentive to the ways that you would show up through the gift of each other, through the gift of our friends, even here. We're thinking about the ways that we want to be those people that the glory of God shines through. And God, today we are, we're thinking about the ways that this whole journey, we keep climbing mountains, but we keep coming down them. We, uh, the mountaintops keep coming, but so do the valleys. But we uh, just are reminded today that you are God on the mountaintop. You are God in the valley. You are no less God in the valley than on the mountaintop when we see the transfiguration. But God, today, would you allow us to glimpse your glory again? And God, today, would you allow us once again to hear the voice of the Father? that says to us now, uh, joint heirs with Jesus, co-heirs with Christ, that we also are your beloved children, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Let us see it. Let us act out of that clarity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.